Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Ken loves talking about cars and automotive trends. And here he is, the automotive host with the most, Ken Chester. Real facts, real opinions, and real talk. Welcome to hour number two of Roadworthy Drive. I'm Ken Chester in studio with Jack DeLeon and Sasha Little. Together, we're better known as the Roadworthy Drive crew. If you missed first hour, you have no idea that we're rolling hard this week with a full load. What we're reviewing, discussing, and debating is the U.S. Department of Transportation's annual document better known as Automated Vehicles 3.0. If you're curious about what self-driving vehicles are all about, and more importantly, what your government is doing about it, well then, buckle in for round two. Now, you can still listen to hour one via Google Play, or by visiting the show website, and I'll give you more about that in a little bit. For those of you who want to join in the conversation, you can call or text me via the Roadworthy Drive line, and as always, that number is 872-222-9793. If you would rather communicate via email, my address is ken at roadworthydrive.net. Either way connects you to me and the show. Now this hour, we continue our review of Automated Vehicles 3.0, is issued by the U.S. Department of Transportation, specifically Federal Research and Cybersecurity, the role of state, local, and tribal governments in the process, and then finally we'll round up with the road ahead. Now, speaking of the road ahead, let's peek in on the other members of the crew. Now, at controls and the favorite of the suits is executive producer Jack, and holding it down at mic two is Roadworthy Drive's own social media diva, Sasha. How are we doing? Doing I'm good. Great. We 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 good. We, we better. We are energized. We, we, we are. The only the only thing I am not energized about mm-hmm. is what is happening outside the window. The rain. Uh, I mean, it's a pretty and day. The, and the constant rain. Yeah. Seattle. Uh, all I'm going to say. Yeah. Uh, I've been to Seattle. I love Seattle. Ugh. Uh, I will say it ain't snow. Uh, well, you know what? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, however, my, however, we're sorry, I cut Sasha. We're going to we're going to fight this week to try to keep our rivers in their banks. I was just about to say that because I passed like two or three, and I mean, even before all this rain, Marshalltown and uh, it was up anyway. Yeah, it was up. So, anyway. do we need to be talking about in case of roadworthy drive, change it to like riverworthy drive? Arc, no, well, no, arcworthy drive. Arcworthy arc drive. drive. And also, a very fun fact: if you get one of those log cabin, you know, already pre-built, you mm-hmm. can just do a sealant on those, and those will float you well, down. Well, you know, we talked about uh, the Lexus LY six fifty boat last yacht. week. Yeah, the yacht. Do we need to, the yacht. Do we need to place an order, Jack? You think the suits would, you know, for lend safety us? Yeah. reasons? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> The suits ain't going to let us do anything. Get over it, people. Thank you very much. Now, wow. Now, wow. Mr. Chester, I, I understand in the parts spin this hour, mm-hmm. we have another airbag recall. Well, we have actually two recalls. Really? To talk about. Yes. Both uh, Toyota products. Uh, let's start with this one. 900,000 to- various Toyota vehicles recalled due to an issue that could cause some to stall and other airbags not to deploy. We'll start with the stalling. Okay. 807,000 from 2010 to 2014 Prius and 2012 to 2014 Prius V 
Hybrid cars were recalled because they could stall while being driven. Hybrids. Wow. Stalled. Toyota has found that in rare situations, that's the company's term, the vehicle may not enter a fail-safe driving mode as intended. If this occurs, the vehicle could lose power and stall. Yep. There's that. 168,000 2018 2019 Toyota Tundra pickups, Sequoia uh, uh, SUVs, and 2019 Avalon sedans recalled because of a problem not with the airbag itself, but with the airbag electro- electronic control unit that could cause them not to deploy in a crash. This could result in the side and curtain shield airbags and or front and knee airbags not deploying as designed. Now, for Prius, the Prius owners, it's going to be a software update uh, once it's available. And then the other one will be uh, receiving notification by first-class mail starting later this month. As always, you can check safercar.gov, enter your VIN number. That seems to be the, our favorite topic of the yep. week, safety doc. Safetycar.com. Yeah, exactly. And that's safer car. Safer. I can't yeah. say gov. safety car, yeah. but it's safer. Reason car. because we care, people, and we want you safe. Um, this one is for Sasha. Oh, yay. Uh, and I quote, 2019 Ram 1500 has outsold Chevy Silverado for the last two months. Because it looks like a GMC. No. Because it looks like, like a, a Chevy. Thank no. you. Like a Chevy. No, no that's really cute. <laughs> but here's the problem. Chevy is winding down in a controlled sort of way their 2018s as they ramp up their 2019s. Didn't they do that two months ago? Well, they're in the process of doing it now. The 2019s are just hitting the ground. Uh, there was a 2019 on the ground in July. There may have been, but not in any volume. They're just starting okay. to get volume now. Okay. So as they build out the 20... 20- See, the thing that manufacturers do they know there's a demand so rather than have the dealers with a month or two with nothing or 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 close to nothing they'll build out the old design and wind it down but do it in such a way even overlap a little bit as they ramp up the new one that way they'll always have product to sell okay so as they were dropping down the numbers of the outgoing silverado there was a little bit of time as they were ramping up the new ones. In fact, this week, myself, I saw a truck full of 2019 Silverados. Okay. Did they do a redesign of the 2019 Silverado? Yeah. Okay. They did. That, that's the whole thing. It's they a brand did, new truck. They yeah. did a complete yes. exterior redesign. Yeah, well, a little more than exterior. They went whole hog. Okay. New engines, transmissions, frame, everything. Uh, to give you an idea, just example, and to be honest, I didn't think Ram was selling at this volume. Now, bear in mind, the Ram is a 2019 and it's brand new. Correct. Ram did the same thing. They wound down their 2018s, kept them going, while they rammed, ramped up the 2019s. Right. For the same reasons. Just to give you an idea, 50,000 Rams in September, in August. 51,900 Rams in September, as opposed to 41,800 Silverados in August and 44,800 Silverados in September. Let me give you an idea of money. Because uh, I got curious. Figured the average price was about $35,000. Yeah. five. Those Broke that down by week. That was over $562 million worth of trucks a week. Wow. That's crazy. In two, so they were pulling Ram now. Pulling a billion dollars in revenue. Just on their half-ton pickup 
every two weeks or $2 billion just the pickup, nothing else they sell, just their half-ton pickup a month. And you wonder why that manufacturers are building uh, full-size trucks and SUVs. Yeah. Yeah. And wa- then, but then again, you've also seen the gas prices go Looney Tune up here. Right. Yeah. For, for the last couple of weeks. But you know what? These trucks still get better gas mileage than the ones they replace, courtesy of the uh, increased corporate average fuel economy standards through 2020. These new trucks get better gas mileage. In fact, one of the new engines in the Silverado is a 2.7 liter four cylinder turbo that they'll be rolling out late availability. Now, it's interesting. They expect that, for the most part, uh, most, of the, most of the engines they'll sell will be V8s, but they do have one that will get it done. And here's another thing. Best-selling truck, which is the F-150 Ford, uh, their best-selling engine is not their V8. It's a 3.7-liter EcoBoost V6 Turbo. Yep. And it gets better gas mileage than the outgoing trucks that they had up till that time, which is why Ford went all in on turbocharging that they can get a smaller engine to do as much work with better fuel economy, better response. And, in fact, even the new Rams, on that note, have what they call a uh, – they're called a light hybrid because they actually have a uh, belt-driven electric motor to help the fuel economy on some of their engines. So they're going whole hog. The engines are getting smaller, but it doesn't necessarily mean that capability is getting less. So – Interesting thing. I wanted to share that with Sasha. And uh, before we go to the break, one more little thing since we're talking about Ford. Here's something for you. Ford Transit Connect, the 2019 Mm -hmm. most efficient non-hybrid minivan in America. Wow. And they're getting 24 city, 29 highway. Wow. Wow. Minivan. And these are the the ones that they're upbidding for commercial use. Oh, the the smaller one. Okay. The smaller one, not the big one. Okay. The small one. But still. 24 and 29. That's really good. Yeah. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. And these other ones come close. Um, the Pacifica and the Odyssey aren't that far away, and they're bigger. So I wanted to share that. Coming up, we take a look at what research the federal government is doing in preparation for a future of self-driving vehicles. Stay tuned. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. You are listening to Roadworthy Drive. This is Roadworthy Drive.
ensemble is from Jean Patou. And she's as intrigued as you will be by Ford's new slipstream roof. It's ultra smart and unique even to the touch. Here on the Champs-Élysées, the Arc de Triomphe makes an appropriate background for this double triumph. The suit, an original by Guy LaRouche. And here, an original by Ford. New horizontally mounted safety twin taillights. A new sculptured rear deck. New lower side molding. Does she approve? Ah, she does. From the Champs-Élysées to the banks of the Seine, wherever the 58 Ford went in style-conscious Paris, all Paris approved. Just as from California to New York, all America approves. There's nothing newer in the world of style. But the picture won't be complete until you see the beautiful new Ford in your own setting. When you do, you'll find you'll be prouder than ever to be a Ford owner. You'll agree with the rest of the world. There's nothing newer in the world than the 58 Ford. You know, Sasha, as you and I have talked in the past, yes. I'm going to need more and more therapy. <laughs> and it's his fault because he's sitting there acting out the commercial right. while we're playing it on the air. But By it, the way, welcome back to Roadworthy Drive. Go on, Sasha. I was just going to say I ignore him. Um, I, I know you do a very good job of that. I need you to I, teach me how to do that. You need to have children. Oh, there's yeah. no, well, there's no love in this happen. video. Either a children or a husband. Either way, we'll teach you those skills. Wow. Not going there. <laughs> not my monkey. Mm -mm. Not my circus. If you're just tuning in, like the man said, this is Roadworthy Drive, America's premier mobility news and technology talk show with occasionally a nod to the past. Right. Um, I'm Ken Chester in studio with Jack and Sasha. Together, for better or for worse, we are the Roadworthy Drive crew, and we're so glad you could be with us. This second hour is of our spotlight on Automated Vehicles 3.0 is an annual blueprint of sorts produced by the U.S. Department of Transportation. The U.S. DOT has issued this document each year starting in 2016 as a sort of pathway for all stakeholders, public and private, that are engaged in some way with the development, testing, and evaluation of advanced driver assistance technologies, including, but not restricted to, self-driving vehicles. And there is so much here we thought you deserved to know. Now, we talked in the first hour about six principles. Right. Um, the one issue that I think we all have here in studio is, and I quote, guidelines of voluntary and with a, quote, self-policing approach. Uh. Rather than being regulations, which could, according to the DOT, stifle innovation. In the words... Of the illustrious and notable Jack DeLeon, mm. what could possibly go, go wrong? wrong? Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, the issue is not I, – I get concerned. I mean, this is the same industry that fought seatbelts. This is the same industry yep. that fought catalytic converters, five-mile-an-hour bumpers, uh, same industry. Mm -hmm. Fought airbags, mm -hmm. same industry. So – you're expecting me to trust not just the automakers, but all these tech companies, too, that they're going to self-police in my vested interest as a consumer. When we have cleaner air, cleaner water, and safer vehicles because of government regulation. Now, I'm not saying that government regulation 
every time, all the time, is not a little heavy-handed. Sometimes it is, right. and I'll be the first to admit it. Absolutely. But by the same token, the profit – companies are in business make a profit. I mean, and that's not a dirty word. It's not a crime. I'm all for it. But when you're in a business make a profit, that's to maximize your investment as opposed to maybe spending extra time, money, or effort for extra uh, other things that may not add to your bottom line. And that's my point. I, I'm just not feeling the self-policing part of this. Just not. And I'm not alone. A uh, recent article in the Detroit Free Press uh, said that that approach is panned by some safety advocates as borderline negligent. Not sure I'd go that far, but still. <laughs> right. Uh, means that the government will continue to rely on industry to police itself as companies pour billions of dollars into self-driving research and development. Um, I live out in the upper Midwest. Do you know why we have electricity in some of our rural areas? I'm assuming it had something to do with the government back in the 30s. It did because it was capitally impossible for a for-profit power company to string wires that you may have to string for two miles to get to one farmhouse. Mm -hmm. um, through the government, uh, we created co-ops. Those co-ops provided power, and the life, rural life is a lot better because of electricity. Same thing with phone service, government intervention. Same thing. And you have co-op phone companies for the same reason. Yep. And a lot of rural sections of our very wonderful country. where, And, and it's fair because it did not make sense uh, being both industries being very capital intensive, you're not going to spend fifteen thousand dollars to get to hook up a phone uh, for twenty dollars a month. <laughs> it's not going to happen. You're not going to do the same to make a hundred dollars a month. You know, for power, it's just not going to happen. And it took government intervention and government policies to make that happen. Now, I'm not saying that we have to go quite that far, but again, and I'm going to sound like a broken record. Federal standards, performance standards, and cybersecurity standards. You know, again, technology neutral because I'm with them on that. But as far as some level of standards like the rest of the car, particularly since the federal government is talking about um, otherwise exempting. Well, let me back up. Did you know that the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration right now has the ability to exempt certain manufacturers from certain federal motor vehicle safety standards. No, I did not know that. I didn't either until I started looking this up. They have that right now. It's limited, but they can do it. What is it limited to? Limited to how many exemptions they can give in a different given year. Okay. They want to open that up. Now, some of them make sense. If you're going to develop an autonomous car without power steering, without steering or brakes or gas pedal, um, that, you know, those rules that cover those items don't make sense. And that's fine. But the question is, where are the safety features and the default safety features in those cases? And that's what I want to see. And that's what we're not seeing with these standards. So next, despite the back and forth you may have read about concerning role of state and local governments in this process, there really is a place at the table, and it's important we discuss. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. This is Roadworthy Drive. This is Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. 
Real facts, real opinions, real talk. This is Roadworthy Drive, and I'm Ken Chester of the Roadworthy Drive crew. For those of you who want or need more than your share of the road, be sure to check out our website, and that's roadworthydrive.com. You can find audio clips of past shows, watch video of our behind-the-scenes antics, and so much more. For those of you who are hopelessly tethered to your cell phone, you can find us on Google Play, Blueberry Podcasting, and Stitcher. In the universe of social media, be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Sasha is our amazing social media diva who keeps things light and lively with her inspirational and interesting posts during the week between shows. See how Sasha keeps the social in our social media. And as I understand it, Sasha, you're brewing a little something special uh, coming up here pretty soon. I am. I am. I, uh, I, I'm recently going to, you know, <clears throat> borrow a vehicle. And for those who uh, appreciated the wheels of non-consent, um, there will be a vehicle available for that. Several little tidbit videos on that. And be prepared, people. Right. Right. Man. And that will be on our Facebook. You can find me on Snapchat or uh, Instagram. And that's Tech with Sasha. And then no uh, Twitter. I, I am not doing the Twitter. You're I'm, not Twittering. I'm, I'm not Twittering. Oh. It's not my thing. Coffee talk. Right. But the other thing is, is that we are going to try something new. We used to do the behind the scenes on the YouTube mm-hmm. and uh, scheduling and so on and so forth. That's just not working out. But I did really want to put out the audio of what we talk about when the mics are off. Heaven and the timer help has... us all. <laughs> it's fun stuff. So I have convinced the, the male folk in the room. To allow the recording to continue, and we are just doing it for first hour, and just to see if people like it. So you're going to be able to find the recordings of that. Uh, we just started this week, so you can find it. I'm going to title it Behind the Scenes Still with Roadworthy Drive on uh, roadworthydrive.com, our website. Or I'm actually thinking I'm going to put it out on Google Play, too. So that way, if you're on the bat, you know, you're in the road, um, you know, in your car, you can listen to it wherever in you have to be. In your tractor. Uh, on your, whip, on your electric tractor. bike. Tesla. Not your whatever. hoverboard, though. Well, they don't... But yeah. I will tell you something. In your tractor right now. Uh-huh. Probably means they're going to be harvesting on Thanksgiving Day. Oh, right. well, if there's anything to harvest. I well, mean, with this true. rain. Yeah. I mean, most of the corn around me, it's rotted it out from the uh, from the stalk. So, wow. I mean, I don't know if they're even going to be able to get in there because, I mean, these tractors, I'm sure you have seen what happens when tractors meet mud. Uh, yeah. It's <laughs> not friendly. It's, yeah. it's not as fun and as it a pickup. Takes, and it takes a rotator to get them out. Oh, yeah. Yikes. Oh, yeah. I mean, That's expensive. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, Sasha, bring the car back. <laughs> oh, no. This one? This? No fear of that. Okay. No, like, no fear of that. It comes from one of my preferred automakers. Um but uh, they are choosing to um, they are choosing to make this one very extremely excruciatingly reliant on gas pumps. So it's I, the biggest thing they make, folks. I, that's still no excuse. Uh, kind of is it's if no you're excuse. willing to pay that kind of money and get you, you and basically drive a house. You don't care <laughs> what it costs to fill it up. Uh, you're driving a house. Right. More, more on that uh, this week. Be sure to look for it. Uh, I'm sure you will find it most entertaining, and enlightening. Now, in this segment, we take a look at how the feds believe that state and local governments do and will play a coordinating role in this evolving world of self-driving vehicles. A little bit. Um, These are kind of the ways that they think they fit. Um, Many of these roles won't change 
from what they're doing now, which is uh, they want them to review laws and regulations that may create barriers to testing and deploying automated vehicles, adapt to policies and procedures such as licensing and registration to account for automated vehicles. That's going to really change in terms of licensing, insurance, and all that, and the laws that go with them. Uh, Access infrastructure elements such as road markings and signage so that they are conducive to the operation of automated vehicles. That's some serious money because automated vehicles see and and take pictures of and look at. And you're talking paint. You're talking construction. You're talking (coughs) just a whole lot of money to make roads consistent. And, you know, any roads that you've been driving for a while – um, the markings may not all be there all the time or it, consistent. Well, they normally repaint lines around here during the summer in July and like August. On main roads. But if you're in yep. secondary roads, it could be longer than that. Could and be it may not all, that. you know, and what are they looking for? Are they looking for, is the typical autonomous vehicle looking for the side lane paint as well as the center lane paint? I would think so. But we don't know that. Not yet. Again, standards. The thing that I keep fussing about. Um, what exactly, that's fine for the DOT to say, hey, states, you need to make sure that your road signs and your road markings and your road accessories are consistent and bright and readable at all times. What about road construction? Prolonged road construction. Well, we have a lot of that around here. And the other thing, what do you do in the winter when, oh, I don't know, I'm about to say Sausage's favorite curse word, snow. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Ice. This is a family show. Blizzard. <laughs> hey. Wind chill. Yeah. I can go on and on. So there's a question that, that's for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, provide guidance, information, and training to prepare the transportation workforce and the general public. How can the states do that when they're still trying to figure it out? Well, and the other thing that I'm questioning here is we talked about this a while back in the year here, that you've got 50 states. We don't need 50 states making 50 different laws and regulations that are not consistent nationwide. And that's the government's role. Mm. Until the government does that, aren't we going to run into an issue? No, because here's, here's the problem. Um, States are still responsible for licensing the human drivers, registering motor vehicles, and acting and enforcing traffic laws, conducting safety inspections, and regulating motor vehicle insurance and liability. Those are still state functions, and they're all going to be impacted by uh, highly automated vehicles, fully automated vehicles. For example, really quick, insurance. Right now, insurance is the responsibility of the owner of the vehicle. Correct. What happens when that vehicle is automated and there's no driver? I may own the vehicle, but I don't control the vehicle. Then it becomes an issue for the manufacturer. But state laws don't require that. What happens when two autonomous vehicles maybe get into a collision in an intersection? Is that default to the infrastructure that might have been faulty? Was it a defect with one or both vehicles? Was there a human in the middle of the mix that caused them to get confused? I can talk, you know, a lot of things that states are going to have to figure out. Now, the DOT is willing to work with the states to get what they call a template or a uniform set of laws that are consistent at state level. But we've got so many things to think about, even in terms of revenue, because right now it's our county treasurers that do the licensing. Yep. 
And that's car by car. Would this change in an autonomous world? Would this be at the manufacturer level? Even if I owned the vehicle, how would that work? So there's a lot of things they have left to do. And how do they set the value of what the tag should be? Again, well, that's retail. So if they're selling the vehicle, that becomes an easy thing. Finally, the last topic for this hour is all about the road ahead. See what the near future is going to look like for self-driving vehicles. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. We are Roadworthy Drive. You're tuned to Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. We have arrived at the fourth and final segment for this hour number two of this special episode of Roadworthy Drive. I'm Ken Chester, and with Jack and Sasha, we are better known as the Roadworthy Drive crew. You got that right. Mm-hmm. And we ride like that, too, so be nice. Uh, thanks for tuning in. This week, I've dedicated both hours of our program to the U.S. Department of Transportation's Automated Vehicles 3.0 document. Produced every year since 2016, this document is a roadmap for the way forward for each of the stakeholders involved in the development, testing, regulation, and eventual deployment of self-driving vehicles. This topic is to give you an idea just where we go from here. And uh, I'm looking at, um, in fact, it's entitled on page 35 of the document, The Road Ahead. How, how novel. This session discusses the U.S. DOT's approach to moving forward on automation informed by lessons from experience with the adoption of new technologies. Doesn't that sound fancy? Let me, they're going to deal with these five ways to get there. One, engage stakeholders and the public. Two, provide best practices and policy considerations to support stakeholders. Three, support voluntary technical standards. And I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Four, conduct targeted technical research. Uh, If you didn't know, uh, over the last few years, the U.S. DOT has spent upwards of $700 million working with states in uh, tests around the country and evaluations of certain piece parts of technology, primarily uh, connected vehicles and vehicle-to-vehicle communication, just so you know. And then five, the one that bothers me the most, modernize regulations. Modernize should not mean uh, get rid of. Okay, and what regulations do you think we're going to have to get rid of? That's going to be up to the DOT. My concern is that, yes, regulations are going to have to change. That, I mean, no argument with me. But I don't want them to change at the risk of my safety and the safety of my family and the safety of the roadway. You know, in the quest to help technology evolve, I don't want to lose. Um, how, I mean, as far as laws, safety, and the way we do things uh, transportation-wise – The United States is one of the safest countries in the world relative to that. However, with this, it it smacks of we could get a little TOO. In other words, in order to give technology a chance to evolve, we run the risk of getting a little too happy with relaxing regulation. Because the one thing that seems to be absent in the whole document as I read it was how 
the DOT was going to hold stakeholders accountable for cybersecurity, for privacy, for making sure things work. I mean, they'll walk you through how it needs to be validated, but you're talking primarily self-policing. Now, they do, and i got to give full disclosure, they do say we reserve the right to pull it if it's unsafe, but there are no parameters in which that will happen. That's my concern. It's one thing to tell me, yeah, well, if we think it's not safe, you know, we'll stop it, pull it, uh, otherwise keep it from coming to market. Now, that, what you're saying is you're talking about the private industry and not the government. Yes. The government says we reserve the right, but the government has not stipulated under what parameters would that happen. That's my concern. And you want those stipulations to yeah. be in there. Yeah. I mean, I'm all for being technologically neutral. That makes sense. I've said that before. No problem. Well, the technology changes every minute. So. Yes. And and you're going to need to do that. But again, again, broken record here, and I admit it, I want performance standards. I want specified standards that are technologically neutral, but in terms of this system needs to meet these minimum standards so everybody knows what those standards are. Because like I said with the Uber crash back in May, Uber was operating at a different level than Waymo and GM. But we don't know what that system's capability was as opposed to uh, cruise automation, as opposed to Waymo. At what point in time, and i got to assume it's going to be sooner rather than later, mm -hmm. does the federal government have to put these minimum standards in place? Now? Well, and I think how relevant is it to put them in place now when we don't even know what that system is going to be? I mean, but you still reserve the right to change them. Yeah, but you're missing the point. I'm not talking about equipment. I'm talking about the ability of the system to meet certain minimums. For example, your the tires on your vehicle have to meet certain standards. Your headlights have, have to, to meet, meet certain, certain standards. standards. Uh, the emission from your vehicle has to meet certain standards. Right. So if you're asking whether the minimum, like the vehicle needs to be able to see this objects and identify objects of, you know. So uh, many feet away. So many feet away. Yeah. Uh, metal from, you know, mm -hmm. organic. Um, what is its detection rate as far as things passing in front of it? What's its fail safe? What's its fail safe? How many fail safes do you have in place? I mean, these are things that, yes, absolutely need, they need to get onto. But before they actually put in these minimum requirements, they also need to understand that I think right now, because we're developing it and it is ever growing day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, you don't want to harness that right now because it is so new. I disagree. They're talking about putting stuff on the road in less than three years. Mm -hmm. General Motors wants the Department of Transportation right now to give them a waiver to eliminate steering wheel brakes and gas pedal so they could put a vehicle out next year. Mm -hmm. So, no, I disagree with you. I feel we need minimum standards because we don't know how, how safe exactly is the vehicle GM is going to put on the road. What how is it safer or as safe as maybe something from BMW or the Chrysler Pacifica's Waymo's working with or or what Volvo's doing? We don't know. And that's my point. Without getting into proprietary information. See, yeah. Yep. Yep. Right now, does the DOT need to sit every player down in the room? And say, we need to come up with a minimum set of standards absolutely. today. Yes, absolutely. That's part of what this document is, is to continue to nudge them in that direction. Yeah. Again, I am not uh, 
saying that we should pick winners and losers, their words, relative to how the technology gets it done. All I'm saying is we need a minimum standard so that we know here's the baseline. Yeah, if everybody would just stop with the whole, but this is mine and this is mine and this is mine, and everybody come together in almost, um, uh, I'm forgetting the name of the word, but we use it in software a lot, you know, where we just, I mean, it's it's out there. Yeah, um, that we develop a collective approach. Yeah. Again, you don't have to disclose proprietary information to meet the standards. Well, yeah. and that's and that's what I'm saying. At some point in time, we got to get everybody in a room and go, guys, I don't care what your technology is, but we got to come up. Your technology is real close to this or real close to that. That's where we're at right now. Yep. Yeah, well, believe it or not, we've come to the end of the road for this week. Be sure to tune in at the same time next week when we do this all over again. On behalf of the crew, thanks for listening. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. This has been Roadworthy Drive. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is a copyrighted presentation of the Roadworthy Drive Radio Network. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or any other use is prohibited without the written consent of the Motor News Media Corporation.